Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the Church of the Palms. My name is Joe Ross, and I serve as an elder in our congregation. O come, let us adore him. We bow our heads now in prayer as we begin our worship. Shepherding God, whose signs are everywhere, restore us in your light that we may discern what you are about. Shine upon this assembly to give life to our tired routines. Fill our longing hearts with quiet confidence. Awaken the child in us to experience your revelation. By your presence with us, deepen the prayers we utter and turn our fears to eager anticipation. Touch us to lend strength and confidence as we reach out to one another for help and healing. Amen. Now, as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in joyful praise to the glory of God.
Today, the fourth Sunday of Advent, we will light the candle which symbolizes peace and the message of good news. Listen to the scripture reading from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 2 and 6 through 9, which reveal the good news. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The, the wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We light this candle today in preparation for the coming of Christ.
God knows us better than we know ourselves. There is nowhere we can go that is apart from him and nothing that can separate us from his love for us in Christ Jesus. When we confess our sins, it is not God who discovers our sinfulness, but rather it is our eyes that are open to the presence of those sins and we begin the journey toward healing and reconciliation. So let us confess our sins to God, confident in his amazing love. O oh God, you have called us to be apostles of your grace, but we have been judgmental instead of gracious. We condemn in others what is also all too often in us. We refuse to listen to others' pain or to understand the source of their tears. We avoid those who are angry or scornful or embittered. It is easier to dismiss the feelings of others than to offer true empathy. We would rather reject than encounter them. Yet you come to us, Emmanuel, and we want to repent. You reach out to us and our hearts melt. We want to embrace this new life. In Jesus' name, amen. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. May the God of mercy, who forgives all your sins, strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. now with believers across the globe and down through the ages, let us state what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now we invite you in the love of Christ to turn and greet your neighbors.
Good morning. Merry Christmas. We welcome you on this fourth Sunday of Advent. We are ever so close to our Bethlehem celebration. We are glad that you're with us. Whether you live here close at hand or from far away and are visiting, we are glad that you're with us. We hope that you'll fill out the friendship pads in the pews and pass those along to your neighbor and note those folks who are traveling with you to Bethlehem. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to continue conversation afterwards underneath the tree. Beautiful day today. Uh, doesn't feel like Christmas necessarily out there, but uh, it sure feels good though, doesn't it, huh? <laughs> we have, uh, we've had some great things going on in our life, a busy weekend, a full weekend. We had our Sarasota Young Voices concert on Friday night, and then last night we had our longest night service, and many people uh, came our way and found uh, both of those experiences to be uh, a big a part of their Christmas journey. We uh, invite you today to our Life Tree Cafe. It is meeting after our service today at 1015 over in the Campus Center. You'll have a chance to have conversation about timely topics and uh, that have spiritual import. So we invite you to come and be a part of uh, that discussion. On uh, Tuesday night, uh, we will be worshiping here. Um, it will feel like morning till night, but uh, we will begin worship at five o'clock. We'll have four services in our sanctuary, five, seven, nine, 11. Can you remember that? Five, seven, nine, and 11. And then also in the campus center, our garden service, our modern worship service will be at 6.30. So we hope that you'll join us. That first service at five o'clock is a family worship to which we invite uh, children and families to come and be a part. And that's uh, always a big highlight for many. Uh, on your way out, you'll be handed a winter planner, and that uh, gives you all of what to expect at Church of the Palms in the first quarter of 2014. Lots of ministries, classes, small groups, all kinds of things you can be a part of. So take one of those home per family and uh, have a chance to review what it is that we are doing here at uh, Church of the Palms in the upcoming season. Over the weekend, we did lose two of our members to passing and we uh, keep their families in our prayers. Olin Murdoch, who passed away this weekend and no services are yet planned. And Carolyn Brooks passed away this weekend and her service will be on January the 2nd at 2.30. And a big shout out to Joe Atchison who turns 99 on Christmas day, so. <laughs> Yay. Let's continue our worship.
Final Sunday of the Advent season. The fourth candle of light is lit against the darkness of all that threatens fullness of life and joy. We thank you for small beginnings in unexpected places that grow in your power and grace. We thank you for all the celebrations of this season, for family visits and friends connected, and beautiful lights and angel voices, word interpreted in the music of great joy. We thank you, O God, and we ask your blessing upon this church and upon all of us as we worship and nurture and serve in your name. Be with those who need your healing and comforting this day, we pray. We remember the families of Carolyn Brooke and Olin Murdoch as you have called them home. May they feel your comfort and peace in the midst of the festivities of Christmas. We pray for those around the world who face times of dire trouble. Especially we pray this day for the people of South Sudan amidst the ongoing bloodshed. We lift up those who are far from home in your service and that of our country. We pray for your mercy of safe travel to all those who are traveling in this season. Now we bring our prayers to you in the name of our Lord and Savior who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now let us continue to worship God through our offerings.
Shall we pray? Dear Lord, receive these gifts, we pray, in the spirit in which we give them. We pray that you'll enable us to use not only these gifts, but our lives and our services for your glory. Let your favor be upon us, your loving kindness within us, and may we respond in kind to this wonderful season and the birth of our Savior, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> and this morning, we're going to ask Lori to come forward with the children. And we're here. Yay! Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Okay, we've been running for Christmas, so that's why we're here early. And I'll just wait for the rest of you who aren't parents, who aren't going crazy this time of year. Good morning, good morning. Hi, very cool. Good morning. So, do you guys know where the Advent wreath is? Oh, oh, these are great. These are for Resurrection House, aren't they? Oh, thank you. I will make sure that they get those gift cards from Target. That is awesome. Thank you. Do you guys know where the Advent wreath is in this sanctuary? Excellent, Alexander. See over there. How many candles are lit now? Four. Four candles are lit. Remember, we're lighting those candles as our reminder that Christ is the light of the world, that Jesus came to us as a baby over 2,000 years ago, and that he's going to come back again someday. We don't know exactly when. So today, that fourth candle, I'm going to give you a clue to give you the name of that candle. You ready? Excuse me. Two. Close. What else? No. <laughs> Not three. What does this mean? What else does this mean? Do we, the 70s? I mean, am I like that? <laughs> Tallulah, are you going to help me here? Peace. Peace. And dose, right. No. Peace. I'm not even going to ask you. There's an animal that actually means peace, but I'm not even going to try. It's white with feathers. Neil, say it nice and loud. Dove. Dove. Excellent. Right. So we have these signs for peace. What does peace mean? What does it mean? One word even to what, what it might mean. Tallulah, what do you think? Prosperity. Mm, prosperity. Peace might mean something else. Georgia. It's two words. Come here. Come here. No war. No war. That's one part of peace. How about if it's like really, really super loud? And then all of a sudden, it's calm. That's another kind of peace, right? So when Jesus was born in the manger, he gave us that first type of peace because we could have a relationship with him. So even if we're in the middle of a great big fight, a really bad storm, we can have peace because we, ha we know Jesus, because we know we're not alone, because he loves us. But there's another kind of peace and I want to tell you about that kind. Lion. A lion. If I told you that this lion was a carnivore, what does that mean? What does it mean? He that he eats meat, right? So we've got this lion, and then if I were going to show you my little lamb, and I said he was a herbivore, what does that mean? Eat what? Grass. grass and plants, right? Well, let's say one day my lion has not eaten for five days, and my little sheep got out. And they happened to meet each other one day. What do you think might happen? Ryan, what do you think? 
the lion would eat him. Oh my goodness, just the circle of life, but that's the only thing that a lion could eat. The peace that we have to look forward to is when the lion will lie down with the lamb, when nobody is ever hurt, when nobody is ever hungry, when nobody is ever alone. That's the peace that Christ promises us in the future. But guess what? Today, we are called to be peacemakers, which means we love others. We feed them. We're kind to them so that we can usher in just a little bit of this kind of peace that's going to come to each one of us sometime in the future. Live as peacemakers today, looking forward to the peace of the future. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we ask that you fill us with faith, with hope, with love, so that we might be peacemakers every place that we go today and every day. Amen.
may be seated. We have in this Advent season been listening to the words of the prophet Isaiah. From our lectionary calendar, we've been looking at these texts of the prophet and as we overhear them as brothers and sisters in Christ, we hear in them words that speak of Messiah. So today we are in Isaiah chapter seven, verses 10 through 17 and then we will continue into Matthew's Gospel. Hear the word of God. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz saying, ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, well, here then, O house of David, it is too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on your ancestral house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Our second lesson from Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When, Mary, his when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. We 
We haste to bring you laws, O God, for you have come to us long ago and you come to us today. Open our hearts, our minds, our eyes to see how you are in the world even in these moments. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. When I was a senior in college, I was struggling with what to do with my life. I had spent pretty much my teenage years lauding the fact that I was not going to go into the family business. (laughs) Everybody in my family was a pastor, and I was bound to determine to show them that I was my own man. So political science was the major I picked with every intention of pursuing government service of some kind. It was the way that I thought I could best serve God. But the hound of heaven had other ideas in mind, and as I entered my senior year, an interest in the church began to grow in me. I fought it, of course, at every turn, the stubborn pride of a young man in his early 20s trying to differentiate himself from the rest of his family as a powerful force. Nevertheless, I felt at home in the church, and a voice in the back of my mind grew louder and louder to say, Steve, You belong in the church. It was about at that time that the political organization at my college, of which I was the chairperson, was hosting a United States senator, Senator Mark Hatfield from Oregon, to speak to the college community. It was a big deal for me to host Senator Hatfield. He had been a political hero of mine for quite some time. And before his speech, I was given a few minutes alone with him to talk. He was very interested in what we were doing there on the campus and curious about what I was considering doing after college. I had this hidden hope that he might offer me a job. (laughs) But then I made a mistake. I told him that I was struggling with my call to service and I wasn't sure whether God was calling me to serve government or to serve the church. And then he said to me, well, you know, I know you're not asking my opinion, But if I were you, I would test first the call to the church. Government will always be there, but test first the call to the church. Well, there went my job offer. (laughs) But what also went were those words into the center of my soul. I don't know why, but that conversation for me became a fateful conversation, a a tipping point. I took those words to heart and tested first the call to the church and have never looked back. Senator Hatfield never learned how important those words were for me. He never could have imagined that night that a third of a century later, the young man would look back and count those words pregnant with future meaning. In Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 7, the lesson we just read, the prophet is before the king. Ahaz, the king of Israel, and Israel is being threatened by all sides. And the prophet challenges the king to ask for a sign from God. But the king refuses. He says it's not right to challenge God by asking God to present a sign. So the prophet speaks for God and says, okay, even though you won't ask for a sign, God's going to give you one anyway. And the sign's this. 
Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. Now the prophet, as he does throughout his book, speaks to his times. The king is to look for a sign in those days. And the sign is to be a young woman who is bearing a son and will name him Emmanuel. We do not know who this ended up to be in the times of Ahaz, but that was the sign that the king was to look for. But who was to know in those days that Isaiah's 6th century B.C. words were pregnant, excuse the term, were pregnant with future meaning? Six centuries later, a virgin is with child and bears a son and names him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Matthew, the story writer, looks back and remembers the fateful conversation between prophet and king and hears words pregnant with future meaning and sees them in the story of Bethlehem. The sign of those times was to be the sign for these times. 150 years ago this year, an embattled president takes a half-day train ride to a backwoods town in central Pennsylvania, which faithfully had hosted three days of brutal war, leaving scores of thousands wounded and killed. He was just there to dedicate a cemetery, that was all. He was to follow in the program the silver-tongued orator of the times whose speech would last two hours, two hours, 13,607 words. Now you don't feel so bad about my sermons. <laughs> so after this two-hour speech, the beleaguered president, after applauding, stands at the podium and with no benefit of microphone, reads his speech of 270 words four score and seven years ago. How was he to know what those words might really mean? How was he to know that they would be etched in marble and in the minds of millions and millions of American schoolchildren? Yes, they pointed to the sign of his times, but they pointed also to the sign of our time. The Advent characters were most certainly sign pointers and sign watchers. Zechariah takes his turn to offer sacrifice in the temple and the message comes that, that his barren wife Elizabeth will bear a child. How can this be, he asks, and he's given a sign. He's no longer allowed to speak. And now he knows. Young Virgin Mary receives an unexpected visit from an angel named Gabriel, and the angel tells her that she will conceive in her womb and bear a son and name him Jesus. And Mary asks the obvious question, how can this be since I have no husband? And the angel says, look for the sign. And the sign is your cousin Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived. The one who call was called barren is now six months along. Joseph gets word that his teenage betrothed is with child through no help from him. And he decides to quietly and gentlemanly divorce her. But then comes the dream and an angel and the words be not afraid. And he sees in them a sign that somehow he's to stick around and take Mary as his wife and name the child Emmanuel. 
The angels sing glory to God in the highest and point the shepherds to nearby Bethlehem to find the child born to them, the Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this, they say, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. A manger? Yes, the angel says, a manger because it's a sign. Wise men from the east notice an unusual star in the night sky and they're not sure what to make of it except that it must be some sign, some celestial sign. And they trust their instinct to follow it because that's what you do with signs, you follow them. That is, of course, if you first see them. And that may be our question today. Do we first see them? Because that is something about the Advent characters. They, they were looking for signs. Strange visitors became angels. Unusual anatomical happenings became the power of the Most High. Messages left in dreams became the Word of God. Quirky heavenly movements became stars to follow. Do you see what I'm saying? If anything can be said about the Advent characters, it is that they left room in their world for God to say something, for God to do something, for God to show a sign. You see, we too eagerly let ourselves off the hook when we read the Advent story and say, well, lucky them, they got the real signs. Angels and unexpected pregnancies and dreams and falling stars, we want, we want God to do the same thing again, but God doesn't do the same thing again. Behold, God says, I'm always doing a new thing. Is it possible that God is filling the world with new signs? That the multitude of the heavenly host is filling the heavens and the earth? That signs are appearing before our very eyes, but we don't see them. So, so busy are we looking for the old signs that we don't see the new signs. The modern world is so enamored with human ingenuity that we have gotten so small that the world has gotten so small because we think it has to be because of us. And the world then has no room for God to move and to act and to speak. We seem to have a very small answer for just about every question we have and it has no room for God to do anything. Lord knows Joseph could have chalked up that strange dream of a talking angel to the onions he had the night before. But he didn't. The world was bigger than that. The world had room for God to speak, for God to move, for God to act. Is your world big enough for God to speak and to move and to act? Are you leaving yourself open to the possibility that signs might be about? 
maybe even in the simplest of things, that, that God is trying to say something, if only to announce that he is Emmanuel, God with us, with us in the now, in the present, and in the times, even in the simplest of things. Annie Dillard, in her great book, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, muses for us about the time she spent, the time she spent at a simple creek outside of Roanoke, Virginia. All she did in her strolls to and beside the creek was to pause and to watch the creek and to look for the signs, to watch inside a world that was big enough for God to speak. At one point, she pauses before one section of the brook, and she writes this. It is sheer coincidence that my hunk of creek is strewn with boulders. I've never merited this grace, that when I face upstream, I scent the virgin breath of mountains. I, I feel a spray of mist on my cheeks and lips. I, I hear a ceaseless splash, splash and susurrus, a, a sound of water not merely poured smoothly down air to fill a steady pool, but tumbling, tumbling live about, over, under, around, between, through an intricate speckling of rock. Is it sheer coincidence that upstream from me, the creek's bed is ridged in horizontal croppings of sandstone. I never merited this grace that when I face upstream, I see the light on the water careening towards me, inevitably freely down a graded series of terraces like the balanced winged platforms of an infinite, exhaustible font. Ho, she, she quotes from Isaiah, ho, if you're thirsty, come down to the water. If you're hungry, come and sit and eat. This is present at last. This is the now, this flickering, this broken light, this air that the wind of the future passes down my throat, pumping me buoyant and giddy with praise. My God, she writes, I look at the creek. It is the answer to Merton's prayer, give us time, time to see the signs, time to see a world big enough for God to speak and to act and to move and to beckon us into the divine presence. This is what happens to the characters of Christmas because the world is filled with the possibility that God might be up to something. When they see the sign and they hear the sign, they consider the possibility that God might be wanting them for something. God might be wanting them for something. God is up to something and he has in mind for them a part. Might that be true for you, that, that God is up to something and he has you in mind for a part? A story that includes a teenage virgin and a senior citizen, both bearing children, would suggest to us that no one in this room is exempt <laughs> from playing a part. If only we would stop to see the signs. Are you seeing 
the signs? Is the world big enough for God to show up despite your circumstance? Years ago, Life Magazine did a little spread when they asked a bunch of different people to write about the meaning of life, the meaning of life. They asked celebrities, authors, statesmen to reflect on this question. And they also asked an 11-year-old boy named Jason Gaze, a cancer victim, about the meaning of life. And this is what he had to say. He wrote, why are we born was a really hard paper to write. I think God made us each born for a different reason. If God gives you a great voice, maybe he wants you to sing. Or else if God makes you seven feet tall, maybe he wants you to play for the Lakers or the Celtics. When my friend Kim died from her cancer, I asked my mom if God was going to make, if God was going to make Kim die when she was only six, why did he make her born at all? But my mom said even though she was only six, she changed people's lives. What that means is like her brother or sister could be the scientist that discovers the cure for cancer and they decided to do that because of Kim. And like me too, I used to wonder, why did God pick on me and give me cancer? Well, maybe it was because he wanted me to be a doctor who takes care of kids with cancer. So when they say, Dr. Jason, I get so scared. Or you don't know how weird it is to be the only bald kid in your school. I can say, oh yes, I do. I had cancer. And look at all my hair now. Signs of the times. In a world big enough for God to speak, to act, and to move, and to invite us in some small way or some big way to take our part in the divine presence.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.